plague was ripping through the land, and from a distance that is just about safe, he saw all the dead and dying corpses, the terrible white foam covering them like a blanket. He ignored the cold and crawled away, desperate to escape the sickness. He had heard there was a safe place if he climbed higher, where the plague had not yet reached, somewhere warm and dry, and then he sent someone calling for help. One of his old buddies from the sticking nettle. The spots were already invisible, lost to the white, powdery fungus. So he carried on up the tree trunk. He had to ignore them and save himself. Welcome to episode 25 of Hidden Wings and Bloodlust. First of all, I'm going to give you a bit of a content warning, because today on the show we're going to talk about what happens when ladybirds get ill and what sort of diseases they can get. So, if this isn't a topic that you want to listen to, which is, to be honest, perfectly understandable, then you might want to skip this one. Because we'll be discussing some things which you might find a bit horrible, and we'll be talking about some fatal diseases as well, so... This could be something that you find upsetting, so feel free to skip it. So, in the last year, diseases, or one disease in particular, have been on everyone's mind. But don't worry, it is impossible to spread or catch COVID-19 from a ladybird. Unless, I don't know, you coughed on your hand and then a ladybird landed on you, and then it went onto someone else and they licked their hand or something and didn't wash their hands or something like that. I don't think it's very likely that this could happen. It is something that can spread between humans, but ladybirds have no part. However, ladybirds crowding together can lead to the spread of diseases, although groupings of ladybirds have been shown in some cases to inhibit fungal infections or make it less likely that that they'll spread, such as Boveria bassiana. The most common and most well-known ladybird diseases are fungal, although there are actually some bacteria and viruses that can infect ladybirds. And in this episode, we're going to talk about some of them. We're also going to talk a little bit about how ladybirds protect themselves from becoming infected, although to be honest, that's probably a subject for another episode. And sometimes how these pathogens can actually help ladybirds. So the first thing to say is that ladybirds can fall victim to a number of parasites. It's not really going to be discussed much in this episode because I don't really think it's relevant. But one example of this is the parasitic wasp Dinocampus cochinellae. And that lays its egg in the ladybird. And I'm sorry, it's a bit grim, but the larva hatches out and eats the ladybird from inside before forming a cocoon. And I'm going to do an episode on this wasp 
it's quite nasty, but it's also pretty interesting as well. Another example of that is the furred flies, which can lay their eggs in a ladybird pupa. And I'm mentioning the Dinocampus coccinellae because it actually does involve a virus. The wasp lays its egg on the ladybird and infects it with a virus at the same time. And the ladybird continues to feed and go around its business, but then just before the wasp larva is due to hatch out, the virus paralyzes the ladybird so it stays in one place while the wasp creates a cocoon underneath it and in about 50% of cases the ladybird survives this experience and it sometimes ends up being both immune to the virus and the wasp but it is one of the leading causes of death for a ladybird especially if it's her seven spot, which seems more susceptible. And this virus appears to be related to polio. And it actually does cause paralysis, which polio also does. But interestingly enough, two spots, which we're going to talk about quite a lot today, are less likely to fall victim to both the wasp and the virus, as the cells from the ladybird's immune system will surround and encapsulate the parasite egg and larva and destroy it. So that's good for two spots, I suppose. Not much is known about other viruses in ladybirds, but in labs it's been found that ladybirds that have been kept in dirty conditions where the jars or containers aren't cleaned out so much have been found to develop symptoms reminiscent of bacterial or viral gut infections. But it's also thought that ladybirds are less susceptible to viruses and bacteria than many other insects, and even many other beetles. In 1985, a particle that resembled a virus called a rheovirus was found in a plant-eating ladybird, but didn't really seem to cause any symptoms. And it's thought that many viruses that infect ladybirds are like that. They're chronic or they're long-lasting and they don't cause many symptoms and perhaps they don't even cause any but we just don't know we don't know enough sadly ladybirds are sometimes suggested to have a role in spreading some plant viruses if they eat or come into contact with infected aphids aphids can carry diseases which they give to the plant while they're feeding on it one study compared plants with aphid infestations and plants where ladybirds had been introduced to control the aphids and they found that when the ladybirds were introduced to stop an infestation unfortunately what happened is the plant became more infected with viruses after ladybirds came but ladybirds have also been found to stop the transmission of viruses and other diseases which are spread to plants by aphids they do that by eating them so the aphid can't spread it when it feeds on the plant so it's not necessarily simple as they either do or don't spread these diseases So another leading cause of death and illness for ladybirds is entomopathic or entomopathogenic fungi. And that entomopathic basically means a pathogen for insects. And there are two quite well-known ones. One is a fungus called Hesperomyces viricens, 
And another name for that family it belongs to is, and I'm going to mess up the name. So it's um, Labubeniales. And this fungus is basically an STD. And you might have heard all of these like headlines about STD ridden ladybirds. This is basically what this is about. The fungus is transmitted through mating, but it can also be transmitted through ladybirds coming in contact with each other, being in close proximity. And a ladybird that is infected will develop these yellow or green growths on its back. And you might have actually seen them if you look closely at some harlequin ladybirds. And they often sort of look a bit like like yellow moss on the harlequin ladybird's back. And they don't really penetrate down into the deep into the body of the ladybird. But over time, they do slow it down and they stop it from moving so fast. They can sort of inhibit feeding and sometimes inhibit fertility. And harlequin ladybirds are probably, at least in the UK, one of the most acceptable to this fungus, although others can get it as well. And they can also give it to others as well, which can cause a problem. And this can seem to lower their fertility and sometimes their life expectancy as well. But again, I want to say, if you've read about the ladybird STDs, you cannot get this fungus. It is impossible for humans to get it. So don't worry, it will not cause you a problem. Another fungus that can cause a serious issue for the ladybird is Bovaria bassiana. And instead of just being sort of unsightly and weighing it down and perhaps meaning that it's a bit slower on its feet or whatever, as bad as all that is, Bovaria bassiana is deadly and it lives naturally in the soil throughout the world. And some strains of the fungus have been bred for use in biological control. And some variants of it are used to kill pests such as aphids and leafhoppers. But it can also cause disease and death in ladybirds as well. When the fungal spores of Bovaria bassiana come in contact with the insect, they will germinate and they will penetrate the insect's exoskeleton. And that will cause a disease called white muscardine disease. And it affects both adults and larvae. So I'm sorry to say, but you're welcome to skip the next few minutes of this because it is a bit gross. So what then happens is very bad news. The insect will stop eating and it will become inactive and the fungus will absorb nutrients and water from the ladybird or whatever insect it is and its blood, I mean the insect blood is called hemolymph, which basically sort of fulfills the same function as blood. So that fluid will then crystallise and thicken. And if it is a larva, the sort of flexibility and elasticity of its skin will be lost. It will experience vomiting and diarrhoea. And sadly, the insect will die in a few days. As the insect dies, it will harden. If it's a pupa, it will shrink and then its sort of fungal 
coating will develop. And the whatever stage the insect is at, it will become covered with a foamy, powdery white substance. The spores will then be generated by this fungus, and then it will just carry on the cycle with whatever insect is infected next. But studies have actually shown that seven spots, for example, keep well away from anything that's been infected with this fungus, especially dead and dying ladybirds. So they rarely become infected with it because they just keep well away. The harlequin, although it does get infected and does die, it does seem to have some immunity to it. So they're very likely to die, but they might have a slightly better chance of survival. And the same with a number of other species. The next illness that we're going to talk about is male-killing bacteria. And ladybirds have been described as a hotspot of these bacteria. And they're all too common in species such as the 11-spot and 2-spot. And it's not really entirely clear how a ladybird becomes infected. It's thought that they're transmitted from the female ladybird when it lays its eggs. What will happen is the ladybird will lay eggs and then the bacteria inside the eggs will stop any male embryos from developing. So there are lots of bacteria that cause this disease, but the most well-known and most common ones are called Wolbachia. And I don't know if I've said that right, I've probably mispronounced it again. There's also another genus called Rickettsia as well. And in other insects, not just ladybirds or beetles, but they can also cause the same effect or affect fertility in other way. And interestingly enough, these Wolbachia, they can actually be beneficial for humans, not because they can affect us, so don't worry then, but because when the Wolbachia get into a population of mosquitoes that carry malaria or Zika virus or some other horrible disease that mosquitoes carry, because all the males will die from this disease, that will mean that there's fewer mosquitoes around and that will reduce the spread of malaria. So, there are several reasons why this Wolbachia bacteria, why they spread so easily in ladybirds. Ladybirds tend to lay their eggs in tight clutches rather than singly. And again, I'm really sorry to say this, okay, so be warned, but when a ladybird hatches out from the egg, a lot of the time when they can't catch any aphids or they're too small to catch aphids, what will happen is they might eat each other or they'll eat eggs that didn't manage to hatch properly. And under certain conditions, it can be argued that this is actually beneficial. And I'll explain why, because it sounds really weird, but it makes sense once I've explained it. If you've got a two spot and it lays 10 eggs, five male and five a female, and the female that laid the eggs is infected with Wolbachia, when the girls hatch from the egg, it's only half of the eggs that have hatched. They're then able to eat the male eggs. They get a bit of a head start in terms of nutrition and an easy meal. There's also less competition for 
aphids and other food on the plant. So in some ways, it can be argued that this is actually quite good. But then let's say you have another two spot. It's not infected, lays 10 eggs and they all hatch. They have to compete for food and start their sort of battle for survival straight away. And if food is scarce, then I'm really sorry, but they might have to resort to cannibalism. And when those 10 offspring go up, they might not have had that much in the way of sort of easy nutrition. And there have to be some males left to survive and carry on the species so it can breed. So it's not a completely good thing, but you can understand why in some situations it's not as bad as it might sound like. And this sort of Wolbachia effect means that in some parts of the country, female two spots will often vastly outnumber the males. There is evidence that Wolbachia might be killed by hot temperatures. In a study of 11 spots in the Middle East, it was found that the number of males and females was largely equal, and they didn't really find much sort of Wolbachia infection at all. And as I mentioned before, there's other bacteria that cause other infections in ladybirds, not just male killing infection. There are some bacteria in the Rickettsia genus that are able to kill larvae after they've hatched out from the egg. And that will kill it like within a couple of days. Another thing that can cause disease within ladybirds is microsporidia. Now, for a long time, Microsporidia were thought to be protozoans, which is a single-celled organism which includes things like amoebas. And in humans, protozoans can actually cause a variety of diseases, including malaria. Again, that does not mean that you can get malaria from a ladybird. You can't, okay? But in ladybirds, protozoans can cause disease, but the diseases tend to not be fatal at least not be fatal straight away, but they can reduce the ladybird's appetite, they can reduce its fertility as well. Sometimes they don't cause any symptoms, and it's thought that sometimes they're actually beneficial for the ladybird. So, for a long time, microsporidia were thought to be part of this protozoan group, but it's since been found that they're actually microscopic fungi, and they can spread either by the ladybird coming in contact with another ladybird that's been infected, or by eating something infected, or if an infected ladybird lays eggs that then hatch out, that could also carry on this microsporidia. And there's probably many other ways in which they can get it as well. And a lot of the time, microsporidia cause no symptoms at all, and the ladybird can just go about its day and not realise that it's infected with something. And as with the protozoans and the bacteria, sometimes that can actually be beneficial. However, in recent years, it's been realised that some of these microsporidia are a problem because some ladybirds seem to be able to tolerate certain species of microsporidia and others do not. Remember what I was saying earlier about how ladybirds do eat each other's eggs at times. In recent years, the harlequin ladybird, Harmonia axirilis, has established itself 
in the UK, in America, in Europe, and other parts of the world, like in South Africa, and I think in possibly in Australia as well, but I don't know. And it carries a microsporidia, and it seems to be immune to it, and it affects the ladybird quite minimally. I don't think it's alone in this, but the harlequin ladybird has become quite notorious because not only does it eat more food than many native ladybirds, including the two-spot, the ten-spot and some of the others, but it also eats the eggs and larvae of native ladybirds. Now, this isn't very nice, but the seven spots known to do this. Many, probably most ladybirds, two spots, ten spots, the ones who are getting affected also do it. So, I mean, it might not be very nice, but it's really not that unusual. Last year, I was actually really shocked because I saw a seven spot larva eating a seven spot sort of pre-pupa, a larva that attached itself to the leaf and it was about to do a molt to become a pupa. So it does happen. And it does also happen that other ladybirds eat other types of ladybird larvae when they're short of food. Sometimes the harlequins also get eaten, although that doesn't seem to happen that much. The problem is that the harlequin is immune to its own microsporidia that it carries, but the other ladybirds that might be tempted to eat it are not immune. This especially includes the two spots, which the harlequin ladybird will eat when it's a larva. So if the two spots decide to fight back and they eat any eggs or they eat any larvae from the harlequins, they will get sick and they'll often die from the infection. And in one study, they found that most ladybirds eating the harlequins really wasn't a great thing to do. And it was only really the eye ladybird that didn't really suffer any problems from doing it. And in fact, if a harlequin eats an eye ladybird, they can often end up coming off worse. Now, Harlequins don't really come into contact with the eyed ladybirds very often. Eyed ladybirds live in a very, very special habitat around conifers, and the harlequin can live there, but it's not really their ideal habitat. And it's thought that the microsporidia helped to let the harlequin ladybird become so successful because so few things can actually eat it without getting infected with something that it just can carry on and it's got a very good immune system so it pretty much can eat any other ladybirds that it wants. So another question that I wanted to discover the answer to when I started researching this episode is whether insects can get cancer and it appears there haven't actually been any studies on whether ladybirds can develop cancer or not but tumours have actually been recorded in flies and cockroaches and many insects do have genes which prevent tumours and chemicals have been found in the blood of some insects that suppress the development of cancer. So 
I don't know whether ladybirds can get cancer or not. Possibly they can. And I'm sure this will be researched in the future. I don't know. The other thing I want to mention isn't exactly a disease, but it is something that can go wrong with the health of a ladybird. When a ladybird is in the pupa, that is actually one of the most dangerous periods of its life. Because parasites like the forage flies that I mentioned earlier and predators can attack it and it's not really able to run away or defend itself. And if it's a humid spell, it can get a fungal infection or a bacterial infection. And of course, like leaves can be picked up or trampled by mistake. But if being in the pupa is dangerous, coming out of it can be equally so. And sometimes the ladybirds are affected by what happens in the pupa or what happens when they're trying to come out. This is usually pretty innocuous. So, for example, if the ladybird becomes a pupa and then the weather gets unusually cold, when it comes out, it will be much darker than usual. There's nothing wrong with it. It just looks a bit different. But sometimes things can go wrong. Once the ladybird is out of the pupa, it needs to stretch out its wings and pump them out so that they can become dry and so it can use them. And if there is a period of unusually cold weather, this can end up not happening, and then the ladybird can end up with malformed wings, which is then unable to use. It finds it difficult to get food and become very vulnerable to infection and to predators. And if the weather is unusually hot or humid, the ladybird can also find it can't actually get out of the pupa properly and ends up being trapped inside. In some cases, when the population of ladybirds is low, they might end up resorting to inbreeding. And there are some genetic mutations which mean that the ladybird dies when it is still a larva or has a vastly lower quality of life, which means that inbreeding can be quite dangerous. And an American study on 14 spot ladybirds, which were introduced to the USA in the 1960s and 70s, found that when inbreeding happened in the lab, they had a very high rate of lethal and harmful genetic mutations. And when inbreeding occurred, the larvae did not survive. The fertility reduced by 84% when they bred with their relatives which is much lower than other native or introduced species. And it is thought that this very high rate of harmful recessive genes might have been something to do with the fact that the initial population that was introduced to the USA was really small, and there might not have actually been that much genetic diversity. But when they compared them to the European 14 spots, they found a similar level of biodiversity in each and they found a similar rate of these potentially harmful mutations. So therefore, it is thought that 14 spots do have a relatively high number of potentially harmful genetic defects. But as the ladybirds disperse over a wide area, one isn't necessarily likely to come in contact with another with the same gene. So inbreeding isn't such a serious issue as it would be within a setting such as a lab where there is a limited population to choose from. So finally, to end on an upbeat note, the ladybird immune system is actually a lot more sophisticated than you might think, especially the harlequin, 
But the seven spot has a fairly decent immune system too, as does the two spot in some respects, and many others. And ladybirds do seem to get infected with things less than many other insects, either because of this immune system or because their habits mean that they avoid disease. This doesn't always just extend to microbes, but it also extends to poison sometimes as well. There is a ladybird in South Africa, a plant-eating ladybird called Epilachna nylanderi, which feeds on plant leaves, many of which have been contaminated with heavy metals and other pollutants, and it's been found to use a digestive process whereby it kills some of its own cells within its body to enable it to digest these toxic chemicals. So I really hope you've enjoyed this episode. I know there's a lot to cover and I've probably missed some things out. All the sources I've used will be in the show notes. I'm sure this is a topic that we'll be returning to at some point. I am planning to get some guests on the show to talk about male-killing bacteria, microsporidia in the harlequin ladybird, and so on. If you like this show and want to support me, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also donate at Ko-fi. The link will be in the show notes. You can like my Facebook page, Hidden Wings and Bloodlust, follow me on Twitter at HWAB Podcast, or follow me on Instagram at 365.ladybird. Music at the start of the show is by Deborah Torrance. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Bye for now.